Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined, as always, by Colin Haas-Hill. And Colin, the people have spoken. 88.79% of 11 Warriors readers decided that you won our draft last week. So safe to say your strategy of drafting all the offensive tackles before I could draft them worked out in your favor. I, uh, I appreciate the fact that 89% of our audience is, is very smart. Not, not sure what happened to the other 11%, but, but 89% is a good percentage. I was accused of voting on 1,000 computers to get up to 11%. <laughs> I promise you I only voted once. Yeah, I don't know if I buy that, Dan, um, but uh, I, that I only probably would have been once. A, I did not tell anybody to vote for me. A, a better strategy for you, even then um, going around and fighting a thousand computers would have been to draft two good offensive tackles. But yeah, but I digress and we move on. And unfortunately, we can't see those teams face off because that would that would be fun. But football's upon us. I mean, I would take that. I'd rather watch that than Ohio State versus Akron. Well, yes, I am writing a, I am writing a ranking of the non-conference games in the Big Ten, and I've got to say, the 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 non-conference games in the Big Ten this year, they're they're pretty solid when you compare them to to past seasons. When you think about you know Michigan, Washington, Ohio State, Oregon, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, Indiana, Cincinnati, but I've got to say, the most tedious part of this is trying to figure out the last twenty games and to try to rank those because there are some atrocious games in Ohio State. No, Ohio State's got two of them with Akron and and, uh, and Tulsa. But even right now, I, w- I would take those games in a heartbeat. Yeah, I mean, I'd take Tulsa over Akron. <laughs> so would I. So would I. Yeah, the Akron game's going to be 150 to, to three. Well, we are getting closer to college football season, just a couple weeks away from the start of camp at Ohio State. And more immediately, uh, just a couple days away from Big Ten Media Days, which will take place on Thursday and Friday in Indianapolis. Colin and I uh, will be there as well as Garrick Hodge for 11 Warriors. And, you know, it feels like normalcy. This is going to be our first time interviewing Ryan Day in Ohio State football players in person in, what, 16 months? Uh, Yeah, no, something like that. I mean, it was in, I believe, in March. I think we had just talked to the tight end. So if you had a lot of tight end content on, on Ohio State websites for the duration of the of last offseason, that was the reason why. But but thankfully, thankfully we haven't had to haven't had to write about tight ends every day this offseason. Um, and yeah, no, we're getting we're gonna we will all convene in Indianapolis. You know, we will see Ryan Day, Thayer Munford, Jeremy Ruckert, and Zach Harrison there and see them in person for the first time. And and I do think it will feel a little bit more real for Ohio State fans that, you know, the season is right around the corner. Camp is just about to open in a couple of weeks, and, you know, soon enough we'll, we'll, we'll be seeing them kick off at, at Minnesota. was originally supposed to be Chris Olave going to Big Ten Media Days, Jeremy Rucker taking his place. Uh, Ohio State says there, quote, no issues, though. I'm sure people will speculate on why Chris Olave is not there, and we're not going to speculate, but – uh, Jeremy Rucker will be taking his place in Indianapolis. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, when they initially uh, announced who the players were, uh, I wasn't surprised at all. For you know, Thayer Munford, Zach Harrison, Chris Olave, I mean, those are three guys who I think are probably going to be captains of the Ohio State football team this year. Uh, you know, Olave, probably Ohio State's best player in my opinion. Uh, Munford and Harrison, two guys who. Uh, 
have already spoken to the media more than any other player this year. So they seem to be kind of the de facto uh, player spokesman for this team this year. And uh, now if Olave not going, I think, you know, Jeremy Ruckert is probably the guy that I would have expected would be up next as another guy who I think uh, has a very good chance to be a captain on the Ohio State football team this year. I know we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what we think is going to be interesting about these days, what we think we're going to learn a little bit. But, you know, a lot of what we learn comes from Ryan Day, comes from other coaches, comes from, you know, Kevin Warren talking to to the media. But those three guys, Thayer Monford, Zach Harris, and Jeremy Rucker, is there anything that you think we're going to learn from them or anything that you're excited to, to talk to them about? I don't necessarily know that we're going to learn anything groundbreaking from those guys. I just think, you know, I mean, I, I mean, for one, like I think the fact that they've been chosen tells you what Ohio State thinks of them, tells you about, you know, their importance within the team. I mean, I, I think certainly, you know, Thayer Munford's kind of a guy that I look at that, like, he's probably going to be the leader of this football team this year. Like, I think he's, uh, you know, going to be that kind of guy for this team this year. I think Zach Harrison is another guy that just based on the way that coaches talked about him this spring, that they clearly uh, are seeing him as a guy who's stepping up as a leader. And, you know, another guy, I mean, we've talked about it before. Like, it still feels kind of weird to me, like, with Zach Harrison. Like, like Zach Harrison was a second-team All-Big Ten player last year. And, and Ohio State fans talk about him like like he's been awful. So I, I get it because he's being compared to the likes of Chase Young and Nick Bosa and Joey Bosa. But I, I, I think Zach Harrison's a guy, to me, that's in a fascinating spot, and I'm sure he's going to be asked a lot about this, uh, of just being a guy that, you know, the narrative among Ohio State fans seems to fairly consistently be that he's been a disappointment in his Ohio State career, yet – if you talk to Ohio state coaches and players, they're really talking this guy up and they're really expecting big things from him this season. It feels like the second wave of a hype train. You know, I think last year, I think a lot of people expected, you know, me included that he might have a little bit of signs of, of, of what Chase Young and the Bosa brothers before him did. And, and it, and it wasn't that level. But the way that they've propped him up this offseason, it's pretty clear that they expect him to take some sort of jump. And I think that's the that's the interesting part um, about maybe what he'll talk about, you know, the expectations that he's going to have for himself that he'll discuss at Big Ten Media, Media Day. Like, does he expect that he's going to have that kind of boast to Chase Young season? Or is this still, you know, just a year by year progression and, and you know, he's not going to be a 10 sack guy yet. Um, I don't really know. I, I mean, the way that they've propped him up this offseason, though, speaks to the fact, like you said, that internally they believe in him in a big way and probably more so than a lot of people who saw him last year and were a little bit disappointed in him not <laughs> essentially not being Chase Young, which is a high bar, but that's what you are, you know, when you're at Ohio State and you're the next five star in line. And then Jeremy Ruckert, by the end of his hour for media, I think he's going to be really sick of being asked questions about whether this will finally be the year that Ohio State throws to the tight end. I mean, he's, I will be honest, like he's already sick of that. Like he is, he's been asked that. Yeah. He's been asked that every single year at Ohio State. Um, That said, like it is a little bit more interesting because the spin on it this year is you're probably, if you're Ohio State, never going to have a tight end in the near future that's as good as Jeremy Ruckert. Um, I think receiving wise, he's just at another level. And I don't think anybody coming into the program is at his level. So essentially to me, if this isn't the year, I don't think you can ever expect Ohio State to throw to the tight end. And maybe that's 
maybe that's already known and maybe maybe we shouldn't ever expect it even this year. Um, but Jeremy Ruckert's a little bit different. He's a little bit different. And he is another guy that's at an interesting spot because, you know, to me, I believe he's underrated. Like, I, I don't believe that he gets talked about enough uh, for what he is. And I think uh, obviously a big reason for that is because Ohio State just doesn't throw to a tight end that much and he doesn't put up those huge numbers. And I'm not sure he's going to this year. But I, I think the guy – might be the most talented tight end in the country. I mean, I think he's uh, has excellent skills as a receiver, but I also think he's developed into a really good blocker. And again, I don't know if that's going to materialize into big numbers because of the fact that he's playing with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. But I think the guy is is a tremendous talent. I think he's a really really good tight end. And you know, this is an opportunity for you know him to kind of be in the spotlight a little bit more. I mean, it's, it's pretty rare that Ohio State brings a tight end to Big Ten Media Day. So the fact that he is, I think that tells you how highly Ohio State thinks of him. And I think it gives him a chance to get a little bit more attention, a little bit more hype than a typical Ohio State tight end would. Yeah, he's, he's different than Ohio State tight ends. Um, outside of those three, Ryan Day – I mean, how many months has it been since Ryan Day spoke? I mean, it's been a it's long, like long time. Because it was, it was yeah. he spoke to the media a week after the spring game, which was in mid-April. It's now mid-July. It's been a long time. Um, a and lot, a lot has, has changed. Yeah, <laughs> a lot has changed. I mean, the entire landscape of college sports has changed since Ryan Day has spoken. What are we interested in mostly in Let's predict. Like, what do we think? What do we think he's going to say? Because there's some hot button issues that he's going to speak on. I think early in his time at Ohio State, he was not somebody to really give opinions about anything other than his team. And when you'd ask him about things like the playoff or, or even you know athletes getting paid, you know he was he was always someone to say you know let's talk about that at a later date. Like I now think coming into year three. You know, he, he does seem like he's in a place where if he wants to have opinions, like people will listen to him. And I think that he knows that. And I expect that he'll be a little bit more open on some of those big picture issues than we've seen him be in the past. Yeah, I agree with that. Because, I mean, you know, I mean, to me, you know, he's not Nick Saban yet. He's not Dabo Sweeney yet, but he's right there in terms of being one of the most prominent faces in this sport. So that to me really with Ryan Day is the most interesting thing to me is I'm interested to hear, you know, specifically on two topics. What does he think about NIL and, and how it's going at Ohio State so far? I mean, it, it's been a few weeks since it's been so, so he'll be able to talk a little bit about how it's going and what he's observing so far. And I'll be interested to hear what he has to say about that as well as what the players have to say about that. And, and similarly, the issue of, of college football playoff expansion to 12 teams, I'm going to be really interested to hear what he and the players have to say about that as well. Because, you know, I I don't expect any of them to come out and, you know, say they're against it. I mean, for, for the players, they're not they're not going to be around when the 12-team 12, the 12 playoff happens for these guys who are seniors. So, you know, they might not have as strong opinions on it as the coaches do, but I'm still interested – to hear their perspective on it as well, because my feeling is my, my guess would be among Ryan day and the Ohio state players is if they have a concern about this, it's probably the fact that this could mean teams potentially playing 16, 17 games in a year. I, th- I think that's probably going to be one of the common concerns we hear among coaches about it. When, when they get asked about it is this idea of potentially playing even more games than they are right now. I'd be surprised 
if Ryan Day comes out and says he's totally against playoff expansion. But I, I do think if there's one concern that I think we're likely to hear from numerous coaches, it's just this idea of potentially playing even more games than they already are right now. I feel like at, I feel like next week during this podcast, we should do like a, a translation of what Ryan Day actually says, because there are a lot of times when Ryan Day says, Bring him back says, the BS meter, baby. We, we should, because I, you know, I think he's going to mention that. I think also like internally, Ohio State likes the 12-team playoff because they're never going to miss it. He's not going to say that, though. So <laughs> so that that's another aspect of this where, you know, it'll be interesting to get his thoughts on it. I don't think he's going to talk a lot about it. I think that, you know, it'll be more interesting to see what he says about NIL and if it's interesting at all other than the baseline. We support it. We're going to do our best to get get guys paid um, what, you know, what they've been missing over the past decades. The reason I say I'm most interested in these two things is because I don't expect Ryan Day to come out and tell us, well, I could, I don't say I don't expect, I guarantee he will not come out and say who the starting quarterback is. And I really don't think he's going to come out and say much of anything about what the depth chart might look like. Now, that being said, usually, especially given the fact that, you know, we get him for a full hour later in the afternoon, usually there's some things that come out of that, that you can read between the lines. Certain players' names might come up unprompted that you can kind of read between the lines and it makes you think, okay, this guy, maybe this guy's making a move. Maybe this guy's going to play a bigger role than we expected. So I'm sure there's going to be some of that, and that's some of what we'll translate uh, on next week's episode. But Ryan Day's not going to come to the podium and say, yep, C.J. Stroud's our quarterback. And I I don't think – I'd be surprised if he he gives us anything – real concrete in terms of what the depth chart is going to look like at any position. I don't think so either, but he does, you know, when you talk for an hour, you give up tidbits, you know, one way or another, whether Ryan day is always good at avoiding that, but he, you know, you give up tidbits. And, you know, I remember two years ago, he said, he was asked, you know, who's had a really good off season. And he went out of his way to say Devon Hamilton and Devon Hamilton had a great senior season out of nowhere. And like, those are the kind of tidbits that you can pick up. I mean, they're, they're never going to be, huge um but you can you can learn a little bit and you know you can talk about jt to for the very first time as well which will be fascinating because the only person who i think has talked about that is chris holtman on 10 tv with dom Taberry and a video that you cannot find online so all i know is they hypothetically talked about this and it was broadcast on sunday and outside of that i don't think anybody from ohio state has talked about jtt i'll be i'll be i don't even know if he can talk about Paula E.A. Nayateote. I don't think he will, but I honestly don't even know the rule of that because he is enrolled as an Ohio State student, even though he's not on the roster. Like, I don't think he's going to talk about him. I think if he gets asked, he'll just say that hasn't been decided yet. But I'm interested to see if it comes up at all because I think he could talk about him. Yeah, I, I think he can too. I It, you, it will 100% come up. Oh, of course. My guess is that he'll dodge it. Um, and you know, I, it would be understandable considering it's not like a decision has been made, but he also could come out and say, yeah, he's, uh, he's going to play this season. That's the expectation. And we just have to finish off some last minute paperwork. Like there's a, there's also the possibility that that happens because preseason camp is around the corner. And let's be honest, if he's going to play this year, uh, they actually need to have something done here in the coming weeks. And I'll also be interested to see if he will finally confirm that steel chambers is going to be a linebacker. He, he definitely will. Also, 
the most important position change. Is Demario still a cornerback? <laughs> people are wondering. I mean, we could find out that Demario's playing like tight end at this point. Like, that would not, be I don't think anything would surprise me with Demario at this point. I, it would be great if he's just he spends the his sixth year in college as a scout team dual threat quarterback. Like, I think that's how I if if I was Demario, that's how I'd want to go out because. How I would have wanted to go out is I would have transferred to Toledo three years ago, and I would have been a, a great MAC player, an all-time great in the MAC. But since he's still at Ohio State, I think that's I think that's what I would do if I were him. Now, personally, all of that aside about the Ohio State players, but part of Big Ten Media Days that I'm personally looking forward to the most is the Kevin Warren press conference on Thursday morning. Not because I necessarily think that he is going to say anything groundbreaking, but simply the fact that. I have not been in the same room with this guy and had the opportunity to ask him a question since he has been the Big Ten commissioner. And with everything that happened last year, I know there's going to be a lot of people in the same boat as me wanting to ask Kevin Warren a question for the first time about everything that happened last year. So I think that is going to be a, a very interesting part of this Big Ten media days on Thursday morning when he has addresses the media and takes questions and, you know, I'll be interested to see if they truly uh, try to let everyone who wants to ask questions, ask them, or if they uh, try to selectively pick people who uh, they think might ask more favorable questions. I hope it will be uh, the former for our sake and for the sake of other reporters, but I'm just going to be really interested to see how that goes. I think, I think if, they let just anybody ask a question. I think there will be some hostilely worded questions be a way to put it. Yeah. I mean, I do also think he's going to be asked about the emails that Ohio State had released um, and his thoughts on, you know, the advocation by Ohio State parents um, for, for a season. And, you know, he is, he is incredible in his ability to say a lot of words without saying anything. So I'll be honest, like I think a lot of people like you are interested in him um, and what he'll say. And of course I'll be, I'll be interested as well, but my expectations are low because he is somebody who does not like to say anything and particularly interesting. Yeah. I don't really think he will. I still think most likely unless he totally shocks me that whatever he says is probably going to make people mad. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I, you know, I think, uh, you know, if I was going to predict whether that press conference on Thursday will, uh, in, improve, uh, his reputation among big 10 fans or, uh, make it worse, I would guess the latter. And it might not be because of anything specifically he says, but just the fact that he might not say what people want to hear him say. Yeah. He has a tendency to do that though. This wouldn't be, the, <laughs> this wouldn't be the first time either way, uh, I'll be writing about it, whatever he says, even if he doesn't say uh, much of substance, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it next week. The other guy who I'm interested in, non-Ohio State related, is it's always a thrill to be in the same room as Jim Harbaugh during Big Ten Media Days because Ohio State reporters ask him questions. And this is the basically the only time of the year because during you know prior to the Ohio State mission game, you can drive up to Ann Arbor but people don't really do that um, to, to, for their midweek press conference. You know, after the game, Ohio State reporters are going to ask Ryan Day and Ohio State players questions. Uh, you don't this – is, this is basically the only time during the year that you're going to get other people on different beats asking Jim Harbaugh questions. And 
he is always fascinating. It's never, it, you're never not interested when you're at a Jim Harbaugh press conference because I can't stress just how weird it is. Like he's just, he's just different. He, he's, he's just different. He's, he's not, he's not, an, he's not, he doesn't communicate like a normal human being. Um, and it's fascinating to see, you know, what he'll be like this year when clearly his back is up against the wall. We know he'll show up with his, his block M ball cap and his khakis. All the ever, all the ever, uh, Coaches are in their finely tailored suits. He'll look like he's ready to go out there and coach. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's his press conference is always different than all the rest of them. It's, it's just different. Like the rest of them, they all tend to give pretty, you know, typical press conference answers. Usually, you know, PJ Fleck usually is pretty excited. You know, Pat Fitzgerald's usually got some sayings out there, but Harbaugh is always stands out. It's always just different. It's quirky. Sometimes you get a really short answer. Sometimes you get a long-winded answer that means absolutely nothing. Um, I said I usually ask a question during his press conference. Other Ohio State reporters usually ask him questions too, and it it's always fun to see how that goes. And I mean, it's fun across the uh, you know Big Ten in general. That really this is you know for the most part you know I'll, you know we'll we'll try to talk to guys sometimes you know, in the weeks leading up to games, but this really is for the most part, the only time all year where we really go up to other coaches and players around the big 10 and talk to them in person in, in that setting. So uh, to, to have that opportunity uh, this week, you know, it's always interesting to kind of get to talk to them about uh, different things. And I mean, you know, I think one thing like I'm kind of interested to ask other people around the big 10 is like, how does anyone in this conference catch Ohio state? Cause Ohio state is one of the big 10 four years in a row. And on paper, Ohio state looks like it should be set up to just continue dominating this conference for years to come. And granted, nobody's going to come out and say, yeah, we have no chance to beat Ohio state, but like, I'm just kind of interested, like what the rest of the big 10's perspective is on the fact that, Ohio state seems to have pulled away from the rest of this conference to a degree that I'm not sure we've ever really seen in the big 10 before. Like I, I don't know. If, I don't know if the big Ten's ever been at quite at the point where it is right now, where one team is so far ahead of the rest of the pack. Yeah. And, and, you know, they'll have their boilerplate answers and, and you, you're never going to be another, another team in a conference and say like, we can't compete with them. Like nobody in the ACC is going to say we can't compete with Clemson. At the same time, there is the reality that sets in where Ohio state's been dominant for several years. Ryan day hasn't lost to a big 10 team. Um, and we are at the point where it doesn't seem like that's going to stop anytime soon. Um, and, and you're right. Like it's always, it's always fascinating to see how other people see it. Even if, they have to delude themselves to believe that yes, we can. Even if we're Minnesota, we can catch them. We, you know, we're we're Wisconsin, but we can get Ohio State on a, on a given year. I do remember talking to Chris Ash a few years ago and him basically admitting that Rutgers was not competing with Ohio State, and maybe that's why he's not uh, Rutgers as head coach anymore. That that's fair. Also, regardless of what Greg Schiano does, if he ever beats Ohio State, like build a statue of Greg Schiano that day and every single player <laughs> who took a snap, because that would be, you know, that would be monumental. But yes, I don't, statue I don't think, with an axe. Shopping. Exactly. Exactly. I don't. I don't. I don't see that happening unless Nick Saban goes there. 
you did do a uh, survey, I know, of a lot of our staff about uh, the Big Ten, and I think that's going to be on the website on Wednesday, probably before this podcast post. Um, and I, you, you asked some of the questions you asked were about, you know, who could challenge Ohio State in the Big Ten, uh, you know, who might be the next team to beat in the Big Ten. I'm just kind of curious, uh, based on the responses you got back, like what uh, what's kind of been the consensus among the staff about that? What's funny is, you know, I don't have everybody's um, I don't have everybody's results yet, so I can't say like what's a consensus or whatnot. But there's nothing that there's nothing that I look at and say like 100% of people believe this. Whether it's who Ohio State's going to finish, who who Ohio State's going to face in the the Big Ten championship. You know, one of the questions is you know who's going to have the second most Big Ten championships in the 2020s, the whole decade. Um, there is really no, there aren't really many consensuses. Like the one consensus is yes, Ohio State's going to win the Big Ten this year. Like that's it. What what the the, the consensus opinion is essentially Ohio State's going to be great. And you know, one of the questions is how many Big Ten championships will Ohio State win in the 2020s? Like everybody's picking more than five. You know, people believe justifiably so that this run of success isn't gonna isn't gonna end anytime soon. I mean, on paper, like they should, like they should yeah. be winning the Big Ten championship more often than not because they're recruiting at a completely different level than the rest of the conference, and they're set up to have way more talent than the rest of the conference for years to come. Which of those questions? Because there are ten of them, and if you want to read the whole thing, you can you can go online. But which of them was either really difficult, or you know, there was maybe there was one that you just felt was so obvious. Yeah, I thought by far the most difficult was trying to pick which Big Ten game Ohio State would lose next. Because, you know, to me, trying to find a Big Ten game that Ohio State is going to lose right now is like trying to find a needle in a haystack because uh, Ohio State has been so dominant against this conference that, you know, I mean, I expect Ohio State to be favored in every Big Ten game here for for the foreseeable future, unless something really goes wrong. because. And, and by that, you really mean, like, they might be favored in every Big Ten game this decade. Like, I don't want to go crazy. Like, we don't know what they're doing. Yeah, 20, I mean, it's a little crazy, but, like, it is, it's But it is a possible. little crazy. It's a little bit crazy, but that's what the momentum with Ohio State is right now. Like, Ohio State is recruiting as if it's Alabama. And it's, and it's you know, it hasn't lost a, a Big Ten game in the past two years. The way that Ryan Day has brought in quarterbacks – it's not like that's going to be a position of weakness where you look around the conference and say, yeah, Ohio State's great, but they don't have a quarterback, and this other team does. Like Ohio State's really set up to have just a historic decade, which, um, you know, you don't want to ever get it. You don't, you don't want to get ahead of yourself and say, yes, sir, they're, they're just going to go and, and win the next five decades of Big Ten games and win eight Big Ten titles in a row because I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. I think they'll stumble – Several, once or twice, several times. I don't know how many times, but the way that they're set up right now is, is sort of unreal. And, and you had mentioned it, like it is a little bit historic when you look at the rest of the Big Ten and say, like, when was the last time there was a team that was this dominant and set themselves up to to be this dominant in the future? And it, you know, it doesn't happen all the time. Yeah, I mean, it would be something to like look back on and see if anyone's even come close. But I mean. I mean, Ohio State to, you know, win, you know, four outright Big Ten championships in a row. I mean, that that was unprecedented. And like you said, I mean, we're all, I mean, basically everybody. I mean, I don't think I've seen anybody out there, period, 
who's picking against Ohio State in the Big Ten this year. I mean, maybe Indiana fans are, maybe Wisconsin fans are, but by and large, I mean, everybody's expecting Ohio State to win the Big Ten again this year. Uh, you know, it's, I did ultimately answer the question that the next game Ohio State would lose would be at Indiana this year. My confidence meter on that is about a one out of 10 and don't hold me to it in October because there's a good chance I'll pick Ohio State to win then. But the reason I picked that was, I mean, for one, I I, I do think Indiana is going to be the second best team in the Big Ten this year. And I do think three years without losing a single Big Ten game is a long time. I, I do think that eventually Ohio State's going to slip up and my feeling is that I, you know, because Ohio State's going into this year with a brand new quarterback, because Ohio State's going into this year, still some lingering questions on defense. But I think Ohio State might be more vulnerable this year than it's going to be the next couple of years. Like I, I think Ohio State, and there's a very good chance because of the way they're recruiting, the kind of talent they're bringing in, that Ohio State. I mean, I think Ohio State's going to be a top five team this year. Ohio State could be a national championship team this year. I think Ohio State might be better in 2022 and 2023 than it's going to be this year. So, you know, ultimately, I, I wasn't going to be the guy that says they're not going to lose a Big Ten game for five years because, I mean, to, to say that Ryan Day is going to go five years without losing a Big Ten game, I mean, it could happen. It certainly could happen. It would be a hell of an accomplishment if it happens. I, I wasn't going to predict that. Uh, I do think the schedule, if you look at it, looks – looks a little bit tougher in 2022 than in 2021, just in terms of, you know, back-to-back games, challenging stretches this year, this year's schedule. I think we've talked about it before. I, I think it does set up very favorably for Ohio state in terms of there's not a lot of stretches on there, but really look intimidating. And, you know, the bye week is well-timed there, but you know, like I said, if, if you're putting, you know, a gun to my head right now and I'm picking Ohio state's record, uh, for this year, I'm going to pick that they go 11 and one, and they lose a Big Ten game. Uh, but I would have said that the last two years too, and they end up going 12 and 0. So one of the questions as well that I posed to everybody was, if you could add one Big Ten player to this Ohio State roster, who would it be? Dan, who was your pick? And and I'll you know I'll also plug on Tuesday. You wrote your unofficial preseason All Big Ten team, which obviously your players coming from there as well. Uh, but who 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 is your pick? Because there is one over – I wouldn't call them an overwhelming favorite, actually. I expected they, they would be an overwhelming favorite. I think they're the favorite for, by, by, by most people, and they're most people's pick. But there actually was – there were several people that, that, that our, uh, our contributors went with. Yeah, it would have been pretty pretty ridiculous if I had picked somebody who wasn't on my preseason All-Big Ten <laughs> yes, team. But I went with Tijuan Mullen, the corner from Indiana, and that's because I think Tijuan Mullen is the best corner in the Big Ten, and I still have questions about Ohio State secondary. I think, you know, I mean, I, Seven Banks is coming in with a lot of hype. I mean, he's a guy that he's a guy that I just barely left off my preseason All-Big Ten team. I think he could be first-team All-Big Ten, so I almost put him on there. Uh, but even if even if he has the kind of year he's expected to, Cam Brown's coming off a torn Achilles, and basically everybody else at cornerback is completely unproven. So, uh, you know, that was the guy for me. I mean, I think uh, the the one other guy that I considered was Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa, uh, who's probably the best center in college football uh, because there is a little bit of you know uncertainty there on that interior offensive line. So if I could stick him in the middle of that interior offensive line at center. Uh, I would do it, 
But uh, to me, Mullen uh, was definitely the choice in my mind just because of the uncertainty at corner. I like that uh, because neither of those guys were the guy that I thought would be the pick and the guy who I think I would pick, which is um, Brandon Joseph from Northwestern, the safety. Uh, You know, he's one of, if not the best safeties in college football, which is the reason I'd go with him. Even if I feel like Ohio State has a lot of options there, you might as well get Brandon Joseph if you can, in my mind. That said, you know, you mentioned Mullen was another popular pick. The other guy who several people picked was Micah McFadden, the linebacker from Indiana. Those are, those are really the main three who people went with, which I do think is telling that if people could add one guy, they would add a defensive player and namely a back seven guy. Because if you look at the big 10, like, you know, some of the other best players in the big 10 are defensive linemen and specifically defensive ends. And I do think, you know, maybe a George Karloftis, if Ohio State didn't have what Ohio State did at defensive end, might be my pick, but they do. So I don't feel like if I was adding anybody, I would add another defensive end. Yeah, I don't think Ohio State needs a seven-man defensive end rotation. I mean, it'd be be the same thing as, hey, Ty Freifogel is really good, but Ohio State doesn't need uh, another wide receiver. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think for me, you know, if there was like a real like stud linebacker in the Big Ten, that probably would have been my choice because I don't uh, know, you know, exactly what that linebacker core is going to look like. But to me, like, you know, which individual player adds more value, I would take Mullen over McFadden. Yeah, no, I know. I agree with that, um, especially because as many questions that I, as I have about the linebackers, like I just I feel like in the year 2021, it's more important to have a great cornerback than a great linebacker. And it is. I feel like my question marks are, are fairly similar linebacker and, and defensive back. But if I'm picking between the two, I'm, I'm probably going to lean toward the, the quarterback. So hopefully you guys will check those out if you haven't already. Uh, preseason all Big Ten team up on the website. Uh, Collins Big Ten roundtable survey, whatever he's calling it. I haven't figured that the, out yet. Up on the website. Uh, we do have several questions from you guys as well. Uh, we, hadn't, we haven't taken questions here in a few weeks because we did the draft last week and we had some vacation time. So uh, wanted to um, make sure that we answered all your questions this week. Uh, so we got about five different questions here to answer. And the first one comes from Ginnon Juice. And he asked, will Ohio State have the 12 vacated wins from 2010-11 reinstated by the NCAA by the end of this season? And then Silver Sniper followed up also asking, and are you aware of any actions, discussions in place to have that done? So, you know, first of all, for some background, most of you are probably aware we haven't discussed it on the podcast. Uh, I think it was last week, uh, Terrell Pryor put out a uh, letter that was also signed by uh, Daniel Heron, Devere Posey, Mike Adams, and Solomon Thomas, the quote-unquote tattoo five from uh, 2010 that was calling for the NCAA to uh, – reinstate the wins that were vacated and their records that were vacated from that season. You know, to answer the second question first, I'm not aware of any actions, discussions in place to have that done. I know, uh, you know, Silver Sniper hope that uh, we would uh, pose the question to Ohio State. And certainly uh, the next time I'm talking to Gene Smith, that's certainly uh, something I will ask him. But to be honest, I would be surprised if this is something Ohio State got involved in. Uh, if they do, I think it would be uh, not something that's anywhere close to the top of their priority list because 
you know, one thing, first of all, that I think is important to clarify is that what those players did, at least in terms of Ohio State's policies right now, would still not be allowed. Ohio State's NIL policy that they've sent out to its athletes says that athletes cannot sell any of their team-issued apparel, equipment, et cetera, until after their careers are over. So they're still not allowing what those players did 11 years ago. Now, do I think in the year 2021 that what Terrell Pryor and those players did would lead to the kind of punishments Ohio State got then? And do I think it would be the biggest scandal in college sports? Absolutely not. I think uh, we've moved beyond that. But I would personally be surprised if if Ohio State uh, made some huge effort here to to try to get those wins reinstated because I, you know, and I know that's not what some fans will want to hear, but uh, I think Ohio State probably wants to keep the focus on the present and what it can do for its athletes now rather than what happened 10 years ago. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think also Ohio State, this isn't something like Ohio State would have to push for it. And like, I mean, they could just put guys in record books. I mean, they're their own record books. Uh, They could make that decision themselves. I feel like Gene Smith is not someone to typically go that route. I think more likely he would be someone to try and push for it behind the scenes a little bit. And to me, this is not something that is going to be a quick fix. Like if this happens, I don't think it's going to be in the next month or two. Like I think that this will take a little while. And the, you know, I don't, I don't know if it'll ever happen. I think it should happen. I mean, if you even look at it from, you, know, like you make a good point that yes, it would, those things that they did are against the rules right now. The other aspect of that is they wouldn't have had to do that because they would have made money on their name, image, and likeness, and they wouldn't have had to trade what they traded for tattoos. Um, that just wouldn't have happened. That said, it was against the rules then, which is why I think Ohio State probably won't publicly push for it. I will be interested. You know, Ryan Day could get asked about that. I mean, he's going to speak for an hour. It's probably probably worth bringing up at some yeah. point to him. So I would be interested to see what his position is. Obviously, he's not going to be the one to make the decision, but the more Ohio State is vocal about it, even if it's just Ryan Day talking, you know, it keeps it in the it keeps it in the public public sphere and. I think at some point it should and will happen. I just don't think it's going to happen quickly. Yeah, I mean, I've long believed that vacating wins is dumb as hell. I mean, I've long believed that pretending like games that happened didn't happen is stupid. I, I've I've never uh, I've never been a, a fan of that. So uh, you know, if you're asking me my personal opinion, I absolutely think that uh, those wins and records should be reinstated. Um, I, I just don't think. I just don't see it being a top priority for Ohio State right now. And, you know, I think in terms of the NCAA, like we're, we're, we're still sitting in this weird spot where, yes, NIL is allowed now, but the NCAA still has not actually passed rule changes about this. So I, I think some of this, too, would potentially need to – these conversations would potentially need to take place after the NCAA actually passes legislation and actually has its full rules in place. So – to simply answer the question, do I think those wins will be reinstated by the end of this season? The answer is no. Could it happen eventually? Maybe. Next question from AC Buckeye. 
Greg Sankey, the SEC, said today that only six of 14 teams in the conference have hit the COVID vaccination thresholds. Do we know if Ohio State and other Big Ten programs have hit the vaccine thresholds? To which we say, maybe we'll have an answer for you next week. Correct. Yeah. I mean, right now we don't know. I mean, one thing that's been pretty clear this whole time is Ohio State is not going to tell us what its athlete vaccination rates are. It's not going to give us uh, information about you know, when athletes have COVID and all that. So uh, I don't expect Ohio State or Ryan Day to come out and say, yeah, this percentage of players on our teams have been vaccinated. Uh, But it's certainly something that I expect to come up here on Thursday and Friday. Uh, Certainly something I expect Kevin Warren to be asked about and uh, other, you know, maybe all the coaches being asked about. And it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure some coaches will be more forthcoming with that information than others. I would be surprised if Ryan Day was one to come out and uh, give any kind of data about uh, thresholds or whatnot. Uh, but like like Colin said, uh, maybe we'll learn something here these next few days. And it is worth mentioning, like this isn't just a get vaccinated because it's good for the world. I mean, listen, that's part of the reason I did it. But um, <laughs> I think that the other aspect of it is get vaccinated if you're Ohio State because it's good for Ohio State. Like that's something that if you're Ryan Day, it's a lot easier if you are you know that most of your team is vaccinated and there is a lower chance that COVID-19 is going to impact the 2021 season. Um, and, you know, obviously things happen, but the more players get vaccinated, the less likely it is that you're going to have, you're going to walk into week four without seven starters. Yeah, I think I saw like a headline this week. It was like Michael Irvin. I don't, I don't know if it was a direct quote or a paraphrase or something like, if you don't get vaccinated, it means you don't want to win badly enough. And I mean, I would think that would be the message if you're Ryan Day to your team is like, do you really want to win? Do you really want this? If so, you should get vaccinated. Lower your chances of getting COVID and not being able to play in a game, you know, because I think, you know, I think, you know, there absolutely is reason to like feel good about where we are. And I, you know, don't think this se- I think this season is going to be far more normal than last season, but like there's still the possibility if teams aren't fully vaccinated, like there's still the possibility of teams having COVID outbreaks this season. There's still the possibility of key players suddenly becoming unavailable because they tested positive for COVID. So, you know, we're not going to know until the season actually starts how much of an impact it's going to have on this season. But certainly uh, I think if you're Ryan day who, you know, we do know Ryan day got vaccinated, you know, many months ago during the spring. Uh, I, I certainly would think that he, he is encouraging his team uh, constantly to go get vaccinated. So that they, it's not something that they're likely to have to worry about during the season. Next question from Seattle Linga. I've recently become been curious if any of the top tier coaches chat much during the off season, or if it's considered taboo. I know some of them are considered family, but what about the ones that aren't that close? Well, I know, I, I think it was when he was on real pod. I don't remember if it was that or another time that I had talked to Gene Smith, but he mentioned that coaches, you know, some of the coaches had been going to different schools and different places and, and visiting them and, and talking to them and kind of getting to see uh, what they're doing at their programs. So uh, that is definitely something that happens. There definitely are conversations. Um, you know, I don't know how much there is this year because of COVID still being a thing, but, you know, typically in a normal off season, there's stuff like the AFCA convention 
and other different uh, coaching conventions that happens where uh, a lot of these coaches will spend time together. Uh, you know, uh, certainly there are calls that happen throughout the course of the off season, you know, football oversight calls, stuff like that, that, you know, Ryan day at this point would be, you know, serving on some of these committees and uh, sharing his input about different issues. So uh, there's, there's definitely conversations that take place between coaches over the course of the off season. Now, you know, how much is Ryan day talking with each of these coaches? I mean, that probably depends on how much he likes them. Uh, do I think Ryan day and uh, Dabo Sweeney are, are texting each other every day? Uh, I highly doubt that, you know, but you know, are Ryan day and Scott Frost talking on a semi-regular basis? I guess that's probably fairly likely. Yeah. It's all, it all depends. Like when you ask top tier coaches, my real, my, the, what I'm sort of envisioning is, are you, you're asking whether Nick Saban, Dabba Sweeney and Ryan day are in a group chat, um, which I would that, guess no, <laughs> that I'm going to guess no. Uh, and yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that's happening. That said, coaches talk all the time. Like it, maybe it's not Nick Saban to Ryan day, but you no know, Ryan day talks to a lot of different coaches. And, you know, I know Chris Holtman talks to a lot of different coaches. You know, he's, he's, he, I know he has talked about how after they lost to a 15 seed, like he got a call from Tom Izzo who had previously lost to a 15 seed and, and other, other, other people who had lost to, to low seeds in the NCAA tournament, you know, that's sort of what happens. And I, and I also think one thing that should be noted, like, because of what happened with COVID last year, I think a lot of coaches within the Big Ten are closer than they were before because they just had to talk to each other all the time. You know, they had weekly calls. You know, they talked to each other beyond those calls. I think that that, whether intentionally or not, like that got Big Ten coaches a little bit closer than they were before, even if I'm not talking about Ryan Day and Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't. Uh, from what we've heard, I don't think they got closer last year, but I think – for many of the other coaches, you know, coaches like, you know, I remember like Ryan Day and James Franklin. I remember them like both like talking about, you know, supporting each other and stuff in the process. So I think that's probably true for most of the Big Ten coaches, but certainly not all of them. Run Eddie Run 1983 asks, as Camp Inch is closer, any guesses to what the two deep will look like for the interior portion of the offensive line? Which is a good question because I feel like Personnel-wise, we're two-thirds of the way there, which is we're basically 100% sure that Paris Johnson and Harry Miller will start. The last guy, I think, is as much of a toss-up as there is at any other position on the team right now. Yeah, and I think we disagree on whether we think Harry Miller will start at center or guard. I don't know if that decision has necessarily even been made yet, but I, I think I think that's a fascinating uh, discussion, I think. You know, I think, yeah, I mean – I think we're both basically certain that Paris Johnson's going to start at right guard. I'd be shocked if he didn't. I, I put him on my preseason all big 10 teams. So obviously I'm expecting him to start at guard, but I think, you know, how, who starts and how they align things specifically between Harry Miller, Luke Whipler, Matthew Jones, and Josh Fryer is going to be interesting. I don't know if that decision's been made yet. Again, this is going to be one of those things where I don't think Ryan day is going to come out and say, yep, Harry Miller, our starting center, and uh, whoever's our starting left guard. I don't, I don't think he's going to say that on Friday, but he might give us some hints. Thayer Munford might give us some hints. Zach Harrison might give us some hints. Who knows? We, we might pick up a little bit just on, on who's really impressed them over the last few months. And then 
you know, I think the other interesting question too, like if we talk about the two deep, like, okay, that's five guys. Who's number six and is number six Donovan Jackson. I think that's uh, the other thing that I'm interested in. I don't think Donovan Jackson's going to start as a freshman, but I do think it's possible he could get one of those backup guard spots on the two deep as a freshman. Uh, I think that, you know, my personal opinion is that if Luke Whippler starts, I think he would probably be the center and Harry Miller would be the left guard. And then if Matthew Jones starts, Harry Miller would be the center and uh, Matthew Jones would be the left guard. You know, my, my take on the, on the, I think it's more of a, of a Whippler Matthew Jones battle with Josh Fryer essentially being the, the other guy in the mix who I think is more likely to be a backup uh, than, than those guys. I think that that battle is absolutely fascinating because to me, this is Matthew Jones's time. Like, this is it. Like, it's year four. This is the starting spot that you've waited to open up. And I thought he was really good down the stretch. Like, I don't think he was playing like an All-American, but I thought he showed some really promising signs. You know, I thought especially as a run blocker, he was good. Um, that said, people are really talking up Luke Whippler. And I think people are talking up Luke Whippler in a way that makes me wonder if, you know, Luke Whippler should – be a favorite right now in that battle. And, and I don't really know. Like, I think that, I think that's, I think that's one of the most interesting position battles to watch in the, in, in, in preseason camp once August gets here, because I honestly, I don't know how that one's going to shake out. And I don't think it's a matter of Matthew Jones being bad or anything. I think it's just a matter of is Luke Whipler so good that he needs to be in the lineup this year. I think that's the question that coaches are going to be wrestling with here over the next month. Yeah, it's a completely reasonable question, too, with, with the way that people have talked about him as basically just a grinder who they have gotten to trust uh, really, really easily and, and really early in his career. And ultimately, you've got to – the goal is to get the best five guys on the field. And so, you know, we know Thayer and Nicholas petit Frere, two of those guys. I think we're uh, very confident Paris Johnson's one of those guys. I think there's uh, definitely reason to believe Harry Miller's one of those guys. It's all about figuring out – who is that fifth guy? And ideally you're figuring out who that fifth guy is in August so that you don't have to make changes once the season starts, but you never know what could happen once the season starts. One last question from weave 77, which like, this is one of those questions I think is a great question that I'm like embarrassed in because I don't have a great answer for this because a lot of these guys who we're going to mention played before I paid attention to Ohio State. So the question is, in honor of Ted Ginn Jr. retiring from the NFL, which former Buckeye wide receivers would have started ahead of either Olave or Garrett Wilson if they played on the 2021 team? I personally have a grand total of seven, but I'm interested to see how many you think would start and exactly who they are. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great question, but it's a hard question for two guys who are under the age of 30 and – you know, only have so much knowledge of Ohio State football history. I mean, if I were to, you know, answer the question, was uh, Paul Warfield better than Chris Olave? I mean, there's no way for me to accurately answer that question because I didn't watch Paul Warfield play. So, uh, you know, I think for me, you know, the, the names that jump to mind are, you know, David Boston, Chris Carter, Terry Glenn, like those are guys that like really jumped to mind is like, okay, those guys might've been better than Chris Olave. They might've been better uh, than Garrett Wilson. At the very least they're in that conversation. You know, certainly you asked, we were asked about Ted Ginn. Uh, You know, Ted Ginn is one of the most electric players in Ohio state history. 
But, you know, with the question of Weber being uh, starter over Olave or Wilson at X or Z, I'd probably say no, because I think Olave and Wilson are more well-rounded, more polished receivers. I I mean, Ginn added a a different dimension, but, you know, if we're talking slot, I'd definitely play Ted Ginn in a slot, but I I don't know that I would play him over uh, Olave or Wilson. Um, Do you have a take on that? Well, I was like 10 years old when Ted Ginn was at his peak for Ohio State. So um, I can tell you a lot about West Virginia during those years. But what I mainly caught was the best of Ted Ginn. And you're right. I, I have no idea. What I do know is because there was a lot of talk from our coworkers of when Ted Ginn retired. Like people love Ted Ginn who lived through that era. And I do think people love Ted Ginn in a way that is special and is completely different from the way that they love other people. And I think it's something about speed. It's something about seeing someone do something with a ball that nobody else can do. And yes, Garrett Wilson is unbelievable with the ball in the air. And yes, Chris Olave is a great deep threat, but the way that Ted Ginn captured the imagination of Ohio state fans is just completely special. And I don't know if that makes them better than those two, but I do know it makes them different and it makes them so, so memorable as, as he retires and, and will be, will be, you know, he'll, he'll, he's someone who's going to be so easy to remember decades from now. I mean, some guys you, you think about, they were great at Ohio state, but what do you hundred percent remember from their careers? Like, I think some guys, it's a little bit more difficult. Ted Ginn, it's so easy for people to remember and take themselves back to, 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 to the moment when he did something that you had never seen someone do on a football field before. Yeah. I think that's very true. And, you know, it's actually, it's kind of, it, it's, I've kind of enjoyed, seeing what people have hearing different people's memories of Ted Ginn over the last uh, three or four days, because, you know, like you, I mean, I was watching some college football back when Ted Ginn was playing, but I wasn't following Ohio state closely. You know, I I wasn't, you know, I I wasn't like watching every play of his career. So like, I, I remember watching him at Ohio state, you know, certainly I've seen him play plenty in the NFL, but, you know, I, I didn't live through it the way that people who were Ohio State fans back in the mid-2000s did. So it's been fun to see, you know, what people remember about his Ohio State career. Yeah, I mean, the dude was just electrifying. I think, like, for a West Virginia fan, I, people think of him the way that I think about, you know, Pat White and Tavon Austin, just people who people are just absurd with the ball in their hands, who are faster and quicker and do things that you didn't think possible. And and that's that's the amazing part about him. And, you know, I, I do think Chris Olave, I, you know, I think he's an unbelievable player. Like, I think that he has a chance to go down as one of those guys who you're just always going to remember Chris Olave's career and how it played out because it's been spectacular. Like, I do think Chris Olave has a chance to just be downright legendary. I think I wrote that earlier this year because you just think about what he's been through. Like, 2018, he – came out of nowhere to help Ohio State beat Michigan in a game that Michigan was favored in. And that was the 62 to 39 game that people will, people will forever remember the next year. He really has a breakout season. Um, and, and obviously that's mired by the end of it. His and Justin Fields miscommunication. He comes back the, the next year and leads Ohio State to another great season with them beating Clemson. And he should have, could have, would have gone pro. Um, but he came back, which surprised a lot of people, us included. And 
decided to not become a potential first round pick and, and came back for senior season and they can potentially win a national championship with Chris Olave. And if they do that, like I do think people will remember Chris Olave in a similar manner, which, you know, is, is, is special. Yeah. You know, I think for both of us, I think when we talk about like the Ohio state football history that we know, I think we're really talking like the last 10 years, like the urban Meyer, Ryan day area era. Those are really the years that like we've really closely followed Ohio state football. And I think in this question, like, if the question was, am I taking any other receiver from the Ryan Day, Urban Meyer era over Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson in Ohio State? My answer is probably no. Now, the one guy that obviously has to be in the conversation here is Michael Thomas because of what he's gone on to do in the NFL. But if you ask me, especially in terms of Chris Olave, I mean, I think Chris Olave's already done more at Ohio State than Michael Thomas did. Now you could argue that was a usage thing that Ohio state uh, didn't necessarily utilize uh, Michael Thomas to his full potential during his uh, Buckeye career. I'm not saying that Chris Olave is going to go on to be a better uh, NFL receiver than Michael Thomas, but I think in terms of what they've done at Ohio state, I think Chris Olave is a better player at Ohio state than Michael Thomas was. I think Garrett Wilson probably is too. I think both of those guys are probably going to be first round NFL draft picks, which nobody has been since Ted Ginn and Anthony Gonzalez both were in in the same year. So, you know, I think these two guys, you know, in terms of, you know, the past decade, I mean, these guys really are the best receivers Ohio state has had here in a while, Uh, you know, to compare them against, you know, David Boston and Terry Glenn and guys like that. It's tough because, uh, you know, the game has changed uh, since then. But uh, I, I think both of these guys, if they have the kind of years we expect them to have, they're both going to go down as top 10 receivers in Ohio State football history. I think especially Olave with what he's done has a chance to really go down as one of the all-time great wide receivers in Ohio State history. Yeah, I think right now, like you did mention, that it is easier for us to compare them against the the past decade. It's funny because you have guys like Terry McLaurin who are unbelievable in the NFL, and I can promise you, like I would have put him being a star in the NFL at zero percent when he was in college. I I cannot still believe that this is happening, and it's a testament to his work that he's put in to to improve himself and just how good of an athlete he is. But you know, like Terry McLaurin comes to mind, but. He's, you're certainly not going to pick college Terry McLaurin over either of these two guys. I think Garrett Wilson still, like, there's a level that he can get that we're almost projecting still. Like, yes, I would probably take him over Michael Thomas, but it's only because I think Garrett Wilson hasn't shown the best of what he can be. Like, if you're looking at his game log from last year, he came out and had 400-yard receiving games, and to me it was like, oh, Garrett Wilson's taking off. And then I thought when Ohio State really needed him in the postseason – he was fine. He wasn't great. Like Northwestern, four catches, 49 yards, no touchdowns. Clemson, two catches, 52 yards, no touchdowns. Alabama, three catches, 50 yards, one touchdown. Like, fine, but you're not looking at that guy and saying he's an all-time great. Like, I think Garrett Wilson, a lot of what we're doing is projecting because we think he can be unbelievable. And I think he will, which is why, yeah, I'd probably take him over Michael Thomas. I'd probably take him over um, anybody that Ohio State has had in the, in, in the past decade, which is speaks to his talent because yes, 
Chris Olave, what he's done in college is better than anybody in the past decade. I also think Garrett Wilson might be the most talented. That's fair. No, I think I think all of that that you just said is fair. And who knows? In a couple of years, guys might be asking us about a couple other Ohio State receivers uh, and and who we take over them because there's a lot of talent in uh, Brian Hartline's room right now. We got to get we got to get ready to head head to Indianapolis because uh, Big Ten Media Days is coming up on Thursday and Friday. So uh, be sure to uh, keep up with Eleven Warriors. We're going to be covering all of it uh, extensively here over the next couple of days and and certainly uh, into next week as well. With you know all the interviews we'll have to sift through and stories we'll have to write, and then uh, next week's uh, Real Pod Wednesdays we'll talk about everything we learned in Indianapolis and start looking ahead uh, to fall camp. So thanks again for listening in to this week's Real Pod Wednesdays and I hope you all enjoy Big Ten Media Days and we'll talk to you again next week.